Hey everybody, this is Mark D, IT guy, dad, and generally bad movie nerd. And uh, this is Mark's Movie Collection, episode six, if memory serves. And today, today we're going to be talking about uh, a Sam Raimi film. It is not Spider-Man 2. I actually couldn't find any physical Spider-Mans, so I'm not sure if I have it or not. It, it might be somewhere, it might be in a... A CD wallet, a disc wallet, because they're DVDs, somewhere, but it was not in the big flight case. However, uh, it's not Spider-Man, it's not Army of Darkness, it's not Evil Dead. This is a 1992 Sam Raimi film called Darkman, and this is a movie that ostensibly stars Liam Neeson and Francis McDormand. And that sounds weird because it feels weird, um... I saw this movie at a very young age, I would imagine. I know that I've seen it, but I, I don't even know that I saw the whole thing. I was just like, what the fuck is going on with this movie? And that's the general impression that I have left. I, I don't remember what the hell was going on with this movie. But, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and I'm going to watch it. I have this HD DVD that I just cracked open, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Put it in. I'm gonna slide it, slide it right in there to that DVD player. Uh, just insert that tray, and we're gonna watch Darkman, starring Liam Neeson, directed by Sam Raimi. And hold on, I should actually look up. Uh, Darkman is written by Sam Raimi, uh, as far as story, and Chuck Ferrer and screenplay. And Ivan Raimi, and Daniel Golden, and Joshua Golden. So, Pair Brothers and Chuck Fair are the screenwriters. So, this is going to be interesting. Uh, let's go. Let's do it. All right. All right. So, I have seen, I have watched. Darkman. And um, I have notes. Some notes come from several days ago. Because, as maybe mentioned before, sometimes I just, I need the extra hours of sleep. It was an experience. But Ted Raimi's in this movie. So that's cool. Ted Raimi, not one of the Raimi's writing the, the screenplay, but Ted Raimi, the actor. I think you could say that this movie is quite literally, literally, quite literally, comic book panels put in motion. And you're going to maybe think that that sounds weird, maybe not. But if you don't, then you're going to be one of these people who has watched the Raimi Spider-Mans and understands that the Raimi Spider-Mans are comic book movies set in motion. The same way that you can watch very early Edgar Wright, you can watch Spaced and see Hot Fuzz, or, or well, not Hot Fuzz so much because it's like a genre movie a little bit, but even though, yes, or Shaun of the Dead, which is also a genre movie, but not quite, but you can watch Spaced, and you can kind of blatantly see Scott Pilgrim versus the world in Spaced. 
where Scott Pilgrim versus the world had no real genre to, to be in, uh, even though it did had some animated original material and it could also be considered comic book panels put into motion. It's in a different way. Um, let me give me a second to walk this back and, and give you a cleaner, um, perspective on this. Let me take a sip of water here. You can see in Darkman, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, the same way that you can see in space, the future Edgar Wright movies that would rocket him to his popularity. They are so stylish and so personalized. They are stylish in a very specific way. And I think that um, the comparison to like Darkman and uh, Spider-Man's 1 and 2 and Spaced and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World are apt. And you can fight me on on Twitter at CoolMarkD, Cool with a C, and Mark with a K. So I think that that is the more appropriate presentation of the idea that I was trying to convey. And it's hard to, it's hard for me to put it into words what is so easily seen. It is like explaining a color to someone who cannot see colors. I am sorry. I apologize for the people I know and don't know who are colorblind or, or can't see certain colors in X, Y, shape, or form. But I can't explain that to you. I could not begin to explain it to you. This is an innate feeling that I get watching this movie about how it relates to Spider-Man. And it's very strong. I will attempt, though. I will not say that I wasn't going to. I will attempt. I'm just not saying that it will be good. Sam Raimi does the craziest fucking things with the camera sometimes. And the craziest things with the character. And the craziest things with certain effects, like um, kind of like a compositing kind of montage double exposure type thing. Um, and there are a few scenes where you're really getting into the the internal mind of uh, Peyton, which is Liam Neeson's character. The internal mind of Peyton is kind of coming out, and we, the audience, are seeing it, and it is traumatic and insane and scarred and and in agony and and we the audience feels that too because the camera moves and the the scenes presented and things like that are insane and and torture and it's not because they're bad it's because they're meant to be that way and that's very interesting and the sam raimi spidermans do a lot of the same thing they also do a lot of very dramatic framing and, and blocking and things like that that are all mirrored here in uh in dark man so i guess i'll i'll go over the plot a little bit i don't need to go over the plot too much because there is a lot that happens but the, the plot is pretty straightforward uh francis mcdermott is uh Fra jesus francis mcdormand Wow, I hope I didn't ruin that earlier. Anyway, Francis McDormand is a attorney who came across some very, uh, shall I say, incriminating evidence, uh, financial evidence, 
for a very rich and powerful man in the city that they live in. And and in the attempt to recover this uh, incriminating evidence, uh, a band of goons is sent to the place where Frances McDormand's character, um, Lucy? She's uh, Julie. Julie. Where Frances McDormand's character, Julie, was residing, which is also the home of Peyton, uh, Liam Neeson's character. I don't remember his last name. I never wrote it down. I do have it in a, a tab here, so maybe I should uh, use that technology. Peyton Westlake and Julie Hastings. And, um... Okay, and just... So, you know, my Windows arrow keys are not working to send applications over to the other monitor. Anyway, other monitor. Anyway. So Peyton, Peyton and Julie are having a really good relationship, and he proposes to her. She goes off to work, finds out that some dude's a scumbag, and he sends a whole squad of mobsters over to Peyton's house to collect that evidence and ostensibly kill everyone there, which I don't believe was actually the orders that were given, but they are mobsters, and they do as mobsters do. Uh, however, there is a rub. There is always a rub. Peyton is a scientist, and he is a work-from-home scientist in that he has a lab in his home, which is uh, like a second-story walk-up over a like, canning warehouse or something. Something fucking cool. And he works with a lab assistant, and they are working on synthetic skin and modeling of human aspects such as hands feet faces and things like that and essentially in in 2018 terms for 1990s movie uh 3d printing uh fake faces and fake hands and things like that for people who are burned or whatever the case is interestingly enough there is a character in the movie by the name of Eddie Black, played by Jesse Lawrence Ferguson, and I'm like, wait a second, isn't that the guy from Modern Family? It is not. I believe the actor from Modern Family's name is Jesse Taylor Ferguson, but it was kind of uncanny. Like, it just, it jumped out at me. Um, but good old uh, Ted Raimi is one of the monsters, and he rolls in with uh, Larry Drake and all these fools. And he actually puts a bullet in the lab assistant because they were, like, torturing Peyton and, like, where's the paper? And he's like, I don't know, I'm a scientist. And they're like, you better know, it better be here. And they just, they ventilate. They were, they were, they were suffocating him and then chose to put a bullet in him. And so we have laid the architecture for a revenge plot. Uh, Peyton Westlake gets blown up, thrown into the river and uh, is recovered, burned, unconscious, unresponsive, uh, some ways down the river. He's in a hospital where they, they hit you with the exposition. Oh, they also, critical plot point, the fake skin works better in the dark. And, and Not that it works better, it is more stable in the dark. It lasts longer in the dark. He gets about 90 minutes of of the skin being skin before it starts to like boil up 
in the light after that, it kind of turns into a hot mess. However, in the dark, he gets a, a longer period of time with it, which I guess is why the movie's called Darkman, but that's a very, it's a very not good reason why, um, because that like never comes up really. I mean, it comes up that the skin expires, but it never comes up that he wants to be in the darkness, nor can he see in the dark. So they hit you with, uh, some exposition, uh, when he's in the hospital and the cool thing about this exposition, this exposition, um, is that they give you like the list of superpowers. He's like, can't feel pain, uh, super strong, mentally unstable and crazy and all this stuff. But immediately it pays off. They, they walk away and then boop, alarms going off and he's out of this weird fucking contraption that he was in. He was in this full body contraption, I guess, to kind of circulate blood and, and stuff like that. Cause he was immobile. He was immobilized. And he just breaks the restraints and jumps out the window, basically. So, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm going to be jumping back and forth between things. Um, but I did notice around this point that the music is by Danny Elfman. And it is playful. It is Elfman-esque while still being serious. Uh, but this is a contemporary of 1989 prince batman and bat dance and the danny elfman batman theme the modification of it for the animated series is premiere it's tops it is aces uh so to speak but this this movie in comparison to spider-man might be a little a tiny bit prettier in that maybe they had to work a tiny bit harder because there was little to no CG possible. I mean, there was compositing, sure, but you could tell. Um, but a lot of it was on the celluloid, right? There was no digital photography of any fucking kind. Um, but it was, it was almost like a meditation. Like, what if uh, Spider-Man was... As insane as Batman should be on, on some points, or what if what if Batman was insane as as insane as Batman should be? Um You know, this is almost what and, and it was really violent in the beginning and it's really gory and graphic. Not really, really, but a lot. It's very gory and graphic. And this is kind of what what Batman should have been almost is is like the the shot across the bow. Like this is like the Sega version of the Nintendo Batman, you know. Sega does what Nintendo don't. And uh Yeah, they, they literally put a gun up to a head and ventilate him. And you know, Batman nineteen eighty nine Batman was a little was actually one of the rougher ones. I believe he throws a guy just straight off a roof and doesn't care. He's just like, if he dies, he dies. Um, which is atypical for the character in the time that we have known him collectively. So, you know, Dark Knight Returns and up, basically. And I mean, Dark Knight Returns, the comic book. So 86, 88, somewhere in there. And up, collectively, is, is 
what we today consider Batman. Uh, everything older than that was just really kind of boosted. Um, so yeah, this is like, what if Batman was maybe as insane as Batman should be filmed like Spider-Man, which maybe should be how Batman should have been filmed because it's like, you know, taking panels out of comics. Um, it's almost like motion comics, except they are actual people doing actual motions for the comics. And that's a wild idea. It's a, it's a crazy idea. And he, he sticks with it for Spider-Man and it is perfect. It is wonderful. But I don't know that you could make anything else quite like that and pull it off. But yeah, so, you know, we get a, a dark man or Peyton as he is. Um, because he doesn't take the mantle to the end of the movie. That's another, uh, that's another good trope that, uh, maybe hasn't really come up too much in, in Raimi's career, but has recently. So I feel like this movie had a long lasting legacy and, and, and when we get to the end, I'll maybe dive into a little bit if I remember. Um, but Peyton is like grade A wretched. He is just burned and dirty and you know they've set up all the, the there's rules to the world right, right like the doctor explains to you the comic book rules uh then he gets a comic book layer and then he goes to his burned out warehouse i think or you know he goes to like a a factory or something like a an ore processing plant or something like that and he gets a legit fucking layer and he he pulls all his, his exploded but not broken stuff from his warehouse and he's like a, a guy with a shopping cart, like a, a bum, you know, so he looks really like messed up and it's just bad. And, you know, he sets up his laboratory and his comic book layer for more, I guess, villain shenanigans, but these are hero shenanigans, but are they though? Because he's kind of a dick, but they were a dick to him. Fair enough. You know, and, and Frances McDormand is loose and she's like, oh, that paper's gone. My boyfriend's dead. Um, you know, maybe this rich guy, uh, likes me or whatever. And apparently she has a fling with him. I didn't really catch that. Uh, I don't remember catching that in the watching of the movie, but I had to split this one up over some time. But there's a um, definitive Batman influence. Like there's a, a scene where he's in his dark man getup, which is just like black shit, like black hat, black duster and dirty bandages and and other rags and he's sitting on a roof with all these gargoyles around him and I'm like yeah that that is 110 percent a batman panel but he's like um grimy batman if you will he's not rich boy bruce wayne he is literally you know he is literally like bottom of the barrel um but Oh, I should not have opened Twitter. No, I'm looking at Twitter. I should focus. It's hard to focus when you're the sleepy, though. Here are good things about Bumblebee, though. Um, but yeah, so there's that Batman influence, and you'll see a couple panels here and there, a couple shots where it's like, yeah, that looks like Batman. Um, but then the legacy on that is that, like, the Green Goblin insanity stuff a hundred percent comes from here. Like this guy's whole crazy 
get up thing like and talking to people and seeing people and all that stuff that all that all started i mean probably in evil dead 2 right army of dark oh army of darkness actually is after this but evil dead 2 um but really took a very distinct form in dark man and i need to figure out what they were running on on his crt in the lab because that animation just looks great it's like end curses but to the fucking max colors all that shit so i need to find some stuff so i can run a monitor in the background for my webcam to make it look like i'm i don't know digitizing a human face or something um but it looked really cool i love retro computing stuff and you know definitely definitely high on that uh scale right now but yeah going back to the discussion of him and and batman he's like what if batman kind of was the punisher because he essentially impersonates one of the mobsters and like gets him killed he steals his money and he steals the drop right and Gets that boy killed. He chloroforms one of the mobsters in his house, puts on his face and hands, takes his clothes, goes out, makes the drop, or picks up the drop, and then disappears with it. Or disappears, I should say. But he actually sits outside that guy's apartment building, waiting for him to get thrown out onto the sidewalk by the other mobsters that went in. Oh, and he also fucking murdered Ted Raimi already at this point, too. The Ted Raimi thing was interesting because Heyman and the main mobster seemed to like maybe had a thing, but there's that distinct power imbalance too. So it's really confusing. And like uh, a month had passed and it, it was just, there, there's, there's a lot. I'm not going to, you know, summarize the movie for you per se more than talk about the movie. Uh, but a lot goes on. So, you know, Frances McDormand is kind of like coming up on this and, and she visits him or he visits her and he's like, no, no, I was fine. I'm just, I'm in the hospital, but I'm like halfway out. Like they let me go out a little bit and then have to go back. My mind is, isn't right. And she's like, well, fucking right. It's not right. But, um, you know, there's a lot going on. The bad guy is like this real scummy, um, I guess like real estate type. And I will look him up. He is Louis Strack, right? And he's actually from Scotland, and I couldn't tell. So this may have been filmed in the UK entirely, and I wouldn't know. Um, but that's fine. But his desk is pristine and he has the coolest built-in intercom i want that intercom i want to know like how does one get this intercom how, how do you get it i want to know um but yeah man his intercom is really cool and he has nothing on his desk and i'm not an, i'm not an empty desk type i i look at people's desks and i see things that are very very empty 
because you can have an organized desk, a clean desk that has a lot on it. And that's, hey, more fucking power to you. But a desk with nothing on it? I'm like, what is even happening here? What, what are you even doing? What are you accomplishing? This guy has nothing on his desk except for the coolest built-in intercom ever. It looks like a desk from the 3D modelers at Cyan that made Mist. And it has a built-in intercom, and it's the craziest thing, but he touches the buttons, so I assume that it is physically how that was. But it is insane looking, and it looks like it's from Mist. That's the best way to put it. It is from Mist, it is from Phantasmagoria, some type of FMV game with a crazy desk with an intercom, like something out of fantasy. So, there's that. But yeah, on this uh, revenge kick, Peyton has, has kind of become the Punisher, and he's just fucking straight murdering people. So, you know, it's one of those things where, what if, you know, Batman and the Punisher were the same guy? Maybe. Um, you know, he's also, he's setting up surveillance shit, so that's even more Batman-y. I mean, I know he's a scientist, but like, what if he's a scientist that also went to ITT Tech, right? He's just super fucking smart and he can learn all this bullshit and then also has already kind of done it. Or he just figured it out on the fly, but he like totally intercepts, uh, you know, Lewis Strack's um, phone call on his, you know, 900 megahertz unencrypted uh, wireless handset that, you know, the, the neighbor lady's radio could pick up to see if you're cheating on your wife or whatever but um yeah no so kind of the the, the plot comes around and they're really the, the rich guy they really make him creepy he was like uh i guess he was like seeing julie a little bit and like i said it didn't really um the movie didn't really make that like super advertised at least to me but i i also have seen it late at night over a period of nights and things like that i could have just missed it easily but they do spend time making him a fucking creep what a piece of shit that guy is so that was good and you know this movie seems to take place in miami in the 80s because he's solely responsible for building like all the skyscrapers that are being built right now which is many and they kind of give you a, a wide shot on the city and stuff like that. This is where you see his desk. That's why that came up. They kind of start getting into a crazy fight where they uh, track her to get to him and then send everybody and a helicopter because. And the fucking helicopter shit gets so ridiculous, but at least the, at least the dialogue you can forgive at least I can, because I see the word bubbles. I see the word bubbles in the comic panel. I understand where this is coming from. And so when he's hanging from a helicopter and the helicopter is trying to essentially ditch him onto traffic, like flying so low that he would uh, get hit by traffic and a semi-truck is coming at him and... and Peyton says, look out. Obviously, the guy in the semi-truck doesn't hear him. This is obvious to everyone, right? 
the guy in the semi-truck doesn't hear him. No, no one hears him. He's attached to a helicopter. They just have to fuck. It's, it's, it's for the edification of the reader. So if this is how much of a comic movie this is that they, they internalized the nature of comics so hard as to have it affect the dialogue. It's not only how it looks, it's the things that people say, how people act. Uh, Frances McDormand is this perfect portrait of a comic book kind of girlfriend or wife or whatever the case is. You know, Peyton is this perfect comic book hero, scientist, villain, anti-hero, dark man. And the villains are comic book villains. This one dude is in a helicopter holding a grenade launcher, shooting it at Peyton as he's running across roofs. Like, it's so interesting to see the page come to life. And I, I've said that a lot, and I will continue to say it because it is the thesis and the thrust of this movie, I promise. And if you haven't watched it, you should have watched it because this is all spoilers. You would understand this. Going back to the helicopter scene, there are some drawbacks to the helicopter scene. One of them being that it goes on way too fucking long. He is hanging from the helicopter forever. Um... There is a hard continuity error where he ends up crashing into an office building. And he's still hanging from the thing. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or some stupid fucking one-liner. And then he flies right out with the helicopter, but the helicopter was going in a, a direction where that wouldn't have, have worked. But it is what it is. Um, It's just that helicopter scene is must be what had inspired Michael Bay for his uh, climactic uh, Transformers robot punching robot fights where it's incomprehensible. So eventually the that scene resolves itself and they, they end up fighting on the girders of an under-construction skyscraper and it is it is so fucking dramatic. Like, holy shit. This movie can be so dramatic with the frame. And that's a very Spider-Man trope. Spider-Man 2, they carry him like Jesus. That is how dramatic Spider-Man 2 is. And there are visually equivalently dramatic things that happen in this movie as well. I'm not saying that they are religious. I'm just saying that they are dramatic. Like they are really pushing this agenda of the story of, of all that. So it's really interesting to be in a fight on an under-construction skyscraper, and I'm starting to get a little bit of uh, the Dark Knight vibes here, as well as Spider-Man. Um, and eventually he, uh, he kind of wraps up that fight, Dark Man, through various Spider-Man and Batman methods. And he catches... Uh, He catches Julie by swinging and catching her just before she falls. And then he has the bad guy hanging upside down, the smarmy lawyer type. And he's like talking shit. And it is 
so much like the uh, denouement of the Joker in The Dark Knight. Where he's hanging from the girders of the under construction thing, just like, ah, fuck you, and you're not going to do this or whatever, and blah, blah, blah. And then the difference here, and this is the difference between Darkman and uh, 1989 Batman as well, is that he just fucking drops him. He's just like, here, bro, take it. And then I also want to point out that at the end of the movie, he's escaping from Julie, who's like, I'll love you anyway. And he's like, you can't love me. I'm a monster. And he puts on a Bruce Campbell mask. So we get to see Bruce Campbell in, I think, might be the exact last scene of the movie. And that's cool. Um, but yeah, I see, I see a lot of legacy in this movie. Um, I guess it's weird to call it legacy when it's the same filmmaker or filmmakers. Uh, I should look that up, but I won't. Uh, it also, apparently Joel and Ethel, uh, Joel and Ethel, Joel and Ethan Cohen have cameos in this movie. Um, this is after they had made Blood Simple and a couple other things, I think. And I think after they had uh, come across Frances McDormand, because I think she was in Blood Simple. Um, and I will look that up, because I do like me some Frances McDormand. Uh, yeah, she was in Blood Simple in 84. And stuff. So... Yeah, I guess that she got them in there. Um, everyone looked very young in this movie. I'm I'm old now, but it's hard to think that that was 28 years ago. It's really hard to think that, and that a lot of these people are still acting. Um, still making movies as well. It's hard to think that this podcast is like 30-something minutes in, and I'm still talking. The summary of the movie is that it's it's the the prototype for for Spider Man and Spider Man Two, and that legacy has come from it. People who are interested in superheroes have seen Darkman. What I would love to know is if this is original. I think this is original. I don't see any attribution here. So this is a Sam Raimi cre creation? Who created Darkman? Is Darkman from Marvel? First published by Marvel Comics in 1990. Okay. So Darkman was a character. Uh, it's based on a short story that Raimi wrote that paid homage to Universal's horror films of the 1930s. So I did get a little feeling of Invisible Man in there as well. Although my uh, history with the Invisible Man is watching Chevy Chase and the Diaries of an Invisible Man uh, when I was like eight. So I didn't know what the fuck. Um, maybe I was five. I don't know when that movie came out. I haven't thought of it in probably 20 years. Um, and definitely did not understand it. So Raimi, Raimi did create this hero, and, okay, this makes a little more sense. He says, unable to secure the rights to either The Shadow or Batman. And I did like The Shadow movie as well with Alec Baldwin. I wish it could have been a little better, and I wish I could have made more of it. Um, but I enjoyed it. 
I've also listened to Radio Dramas of the Shadow, and they are quite fun. If you're into that, and if you're listening to a podcast, you fucking might be. You just fucking might be. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there's two direct-to-video sequels to Darkman, which you probably shouldn't want to watch. Uh, Comic books, video games, and action figures, and has been regarded as a cult film. Um... But yeah, it was uh, a a pretty good uh, makeup effort for Tony Gardner, and uh, yeah, I mean it's a, an an original creation, which is cool. He's kind of like a lot of people, but he's kind of different. But there was never a huge backstory on it where it was required to like lug this luggage in. Which is why the movie feels sparse. It's not like Spider-Man or Batman where everyone knows the backstory. So you hear like, oh, I got to tell the backstory and the pearls and Uncle Ben and all that stuff. No, Darkman is just like, let's do it. Yeah, Raimi uh, kind of uh, also got inspiration from Fan of the Opera and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not going to read you the fucking Wikipedia. You can. I'm sorry for doing that. You can completely read the Wikipedia article. I will link it in the show notes because it will be useful. But this is helpful to me um, to kind of understand the background. And it's not, I shouldn't have to be doing this with you, with me. Uh, but thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Darkman, uh, a.k.a. Spider-Man Part Zero. Uh, or Batman Rated R, or The Shadow Knows What Lurks in the Hearts of Filmmakers Who Can't Secure Rights. I have been Mark D. Once again, I would love to hear what you thought of Darkman. If you watched uh, Steve Darkman, you know, a friend of mine, Steve Darkman from down the corner. If you watched Darkman, um, please let me know what you thought. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Do you, do, do you want to point something out? I would love to hear it. I love talking about movies. So tweet at me. That's the easiest way to do it. At CoolMarkD. Cool with a C and Mark with a K. And that'll do it. Um, I do realize that I need to pick another movie for the next episode. I also... I'm going to say that I didn't do anything for Christmas, and I'm sorry, but I was scheduling these, and I didn't do the math. So we're now past Christmas at this point. But it is what it is. So let me check on what movie is going to be next. Okay, cool. So, in an interesting turn of events, I just pulled the first one I could see off the stack. This will be another um, comic book movie. Maybe in a very different vein. But uh, this will be the movie adaptation of the graphic novel. I will use the appropriate terminology here. The graphic novel of 300. Starring Gerard Butler, directed by, notoriously, Zack Snyder. And actually a movie that I will 
talk about in the intro as opposed to burying the lead at the end of this episode. So thank you for listening uh, to Mark's movie collection. Once again, I am the eponymous Mark. And this is the end of the show.